The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. <laughs> hello. Hello, everybody. This is Gwendolyn. My name is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I've been doing workplace visuality and developing the technologies of the visual workplace for about 30 years, and I want to welcome you. Welcome to The Visual Workplace, the name of our weekly radio show on the technologies of the visual workplace, beginning with 5S, which I call either 5S on steroids or visual order, visual inventiveness, and moving us through visual standards, visual metrics, metrics that drive visual metrics, metrics that drive, visual displays, visual controls, visual pull systems are very, very well done by our friends in Lean, creating cellular design, so they've got that knocked, but I talk about the concept of visual pull and why it works so well, pretty much hidden in plain sight, as they say, uh, as and as we found it in Toyota, and then visual Guarantees or Pokeyok mistake-proof systems, and they all have to do. They all have to do with embedding information, various levels of information, into the living landscape of work, into the physical work environment through visual devices. <clears throat> and I was looking for a way 20, 30 years ago. It was about 26 years ago after I'd started, but I hadn't quite found the. Um, the nomenclature, but also the architecture of visuality. I was looking for a way of uh, articulating what is different about visual devices without losing what their functionality was, what they contributed to performance and also as a byproduct to the cultural well-being of the company. And that's what I've been kind of devising over this time period. So, uh, And that's what I'm bringing to you on the show we were supposed to be interviewing the great Norman Vodak, Dr. Improvement. We were supposed to be um, interviewing um, Norman Vodak, my old boss, from the 1980s. We are supposed to be interviewing him today, but you know what? He had an emergency operation today, or he went into the hospital anyway. And because of that, uh, he said, Gwenny, I'm not going to be able to make it. So I want to give you, in case you know Norman, and some of you do, if you want to send him your greetings, let me give you his uh, email address. He's got two of them, but we're going to use his company address, bodek at pcspress.com. That's bodek as in Norman Bodek, B as in boy, O, D as in David, E, C, no, sorry, no C, B as in boy, O, D as in David, E, K as in kitchen, 
Bodak at PCS. P for Peter, C for Contribute, S for Service, Press. PCSPress.com. If you mess that up, just send it to, if I messed it up, just send it to radio at visualworkplace.com and we'll send it on to him. Norman was my boss for about eight years. They were very important, formative years. He's the one who sent me to Japan and India and Australia and brought me into the whole world of continuous improvement. I must tell you that story someday because, honestly, before then, I was a Latin teacher. And after that, I was the token Caucasian in a Chinese restaurant. I supported my family by... Uh, being a checkout person at Kroger's. I had a, I had a, a lot of education behind me, but I was living in the Midwest at the time, couldn't find any place to work. Um, so Norman, I got my PhD and Norman gave me a job and, you know, the rest is history. We, we worked very, very well together. I will tell you that story, but not today. Maybe next week. We are going to have him on next week. I just got an email from him saying that he was sorry that he was delayed, but that he was planning to show up next week for the show. So, uh, the e-blast that you got, um, yesterday or the day before will be resent with a little note that Norman is feeling better, as I'm sure he will be. So today what we're going to do is kind of pick up where we left off on borders and move to the second element of the visual wear, which is addresses, addresses and ID labels. And you know what? I bet it's going to take us three shows to cover that. Addresses are treated so casually by companies. They kind of slap a label on something, name it, and then slap a label on the next thing and slap a label on the next thing. But in fact, addresses are a powerful, powerful component of your visual functionality and the second of three components of the visual wear, which many of you are calling 5S. But too many of you are kind of stuck doing neat and clean and can't kind of shift over to the deeply and fully and robustly visual part, the part that really pays off in performance improvement. Cleanliness, neatness is important to keep your goods from being uh, contaminated and from just for just keeping clean as an outcome. But it doesn't really change the functionality of performance. When we start getting into the visual aspects, then we start being able to differentiate based on this information I was talking to you about at the top of the show. These We are embedding information, but this information is by design very detailed or by design very general. Now we're in the realm of addresses. Before we go into addresses, we're going to start kind of layering in the logic of addresses and then the rules about addresses. So you can get the kind of, you can get a coherent framework of knowledge and of application and hopefully learn to respect addresses enough to deploy them very effectively. Let me just make a couple of announcements. One of them is that we are going to be uh, doing a training in the UK uh, in May. 
May 23rd, 24th, and 28th, 29th at two different factories. We will be doing the flagship seminar that I do. I've taken around my dog and pony show all over the world, which is visual workplace, visual thinking. It's a very, very robust introduction to this whole notion of visuality as a language and what are the practical applications and aspects of that. But each of those seminars, one on the 23rd, one on the 28th, will be tied to a visual sight assessment where we start applying this growing understanding of visuality as a performance function, a performance enabler. We'll be going to two separate plants. I will, uh, on the same work of May, the same week of May the 23rd, also be giving a um, session on visual leadership for the Lean Management Journal conference and that will only be I think an hour and a half but it should be very interesting later on on July the 10th I'll be back in the UK to present a full workshop on visual leadership and that should be very interesting this is in conjunction with the lean conference at the University of Buckingham under the leadership of John Pacino The work at Lean Management Journal in May is under the leadership of John Tudor. These are fine, fine gentlemen and very, very interested in promoting um, good lean learning and good lean application, visual lean application throughout, throughout the UK. I am also on the slate to do a two or three day visual leadership workshop in Regina, Canada uh, with my good friend Stuart Bellamy. We're kind of working out the details. I think that will happen and I will probably do visual leadership. I'm sorry, visual workplace, visual thinking and a side assessment up there as well. We're working on the dates now. We're working it out and we are also working with a winery right now, nameless, but huge winery. There's many, many holdings throughout the world to do a training of trainers on work that makes sense. Um, that announcement will go out as soon as we get the dates from uh, our host site, which we think looks really, really good. So I'm trying to get a little bit more out there. I've spent the last six months working on visual guarantees in Pokeoke for biomedical and doing some rollouts of visual leadership and work that makes sense. And oh, golly, it's been arduous. I've been doing it long distance because we wanted to give a more economical model. So we send licensed materials, webinars, pre-recorded, and then I do coaching. And I'll tell you, I am getting very skilled at coaching people through my voice. <laughs> through my voice only. You will do this. <laughs> you will not slack off. You will do this. <laughs> It's been such a learning curve for me, but we're doing well, and finally it's beginning to grab. Pretty, pretty amazing. I'm sure there's a show in there somewhere. So those are the main announcements. Um, Yeah, yeah, and for those of you who have written, thank you for your emails. You've been asking about my visual leadership book, but I need like five uninterrupted weeks to get a book out. I can do it in five weeks, but I have to be really left alone. And that hasn't happened so far. I'm hoping it will. I've been getting invitations, and it's almost impossible for me to resist someone's um, invitation for me to present on visuality. But we'll see what I can do. I want to get the book out by the end of the year. It's going to be really, really good. 
and my books are available now on Kindle, and a couple of them are available print-on-demand, both of them on Amazon. We're going to get Smart Simple Design out probably within the next month. That was also put on hold. All right, enough with the announcements. Let's begin with addresses. We're talking about addresses. This show will be about the basics of addresses. So if you find yourself saying, yeah, I know that, I know that, I know that, then make sure that you come to the second show, which will be probably right after we interview Norman Bodek next week. Addresses are the second element of what I call the visual wear. I also call it automatic recoil, the ability of a workplace item to find its way back home based solely on the information that is in that home, but also on the object itself. It's a little dog tag. It'll find its way back to the border, and the border will have a lovely address, a lovely, perfectly matched address, automatic recoil, springs right back. So there are three elements of the visual wear, the border, the address, and where possible, an ID label, an ID label on the thing itself. You're not going to ID label the cardboard boxes that are sitting in a border that says cardboard boxes for uh, unit 26.5, right? Very specific cardboard boxes. You won't be putting an ID label on the thing itself because it's a consumable. But if it's like my coffee cup, believe me, it's going to say Gwenny's coffee cup and it's going to sit in a border that is a border that is addressed Gwenny's coffee cup. If I care to do that, it is not a requirement, but if it casts a shadow, that is what the rule is. A border, and address, and if possible, an ID label for everything that casts a shadow. So in, in our discussion, we are going to learn about the waste, the motion that is triggered when addresses are inaccurate or unreadable or incomplete or simply absent when they're weak or absent when they don't function. And in far too many companies, addresses are overlooked or merely given lip service. It is not enough. Well, I will tell you after the break what it is not enough to do. So let's slide into our break. When we come back, we'll pick up the substance of addresses and hopefully you will find this good learning and maybe even new learning. See you in a minute. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. Welcome back. Welcome to the second segment of The Visual Workplace. And today we are focusing on addresses, the second element of the visual wear. And I apologize for my voice. <clears throat> I continue to have a little catch in it. I can hear it, and I'm sure you can too. So we will just kind of muscle through this. So just before the break, I was saying that it is not enough, for example, to just throw some parts on a shelf, hang a sign that says parts storage, and leave the rest for other people to figure out. This is a non-approach. It isn't just inadequate, but it is also a prescription for accidents, mix-ups, defects, long downtime, long lead time, and of course, unhappy employees, moi and toi, and unhappy, I should say moi and vous, and unhappy employees, unhappy customers, plummeting profit margins. It seems like a tiny, tiny component of success but it has very, very powerful repercussions. This is like the nail that was lost on the horseshoe that caused the horse to stumble, the king to fall on his head, and the kingdom to be lost. It's that kind of multiplying effect. Addresses, like a road map without names on it, like a road map without any city or street names, Without excellent addresses, we have very little chance of finding the vital workplace items that are stored on the floor, on the walls, on the racks, in the shelves, in the drawers. But worse than that, worse than that is without effective addresses, we have all of these bad things that happen, very, very specific wastes. So what we're going to be talking about now is addresses, and I'm going to be naming for you dozens of them. Some of them are very specific. Some of them, by intention, by design, are very general. But all of them are at least adequate. Many of them are excellent. And some of them are brilliant and unsurpassed. Just fabulous inventions. I will, of course, describe them to you. And by the way, I don't need to plug my book because I think some of many of you know about it. But Work That Makes Sense has this whole thing spelled out in detail with all the pictures that I will be describing. Work That Makes Sense, you can get it on our website or on Amazon. And on Amazon, print on demand, in the almost for sure in the country that you're listening from. In Australia, in the UK, India, Europe, okay, we have that on demand now. So in every case of these addresses, the address serves us until we see the next incident of motion that tells us 
that the address needs to be upgraded, needs to be improved. So we continue to use motion, moving without working, as our measure of effectiveness. And what happens as we use it is we begin to see finer and finer, more subtle forms of motion that escaped us before. At first, we see the gross form of motion of looking and searching and asking questions. Hey, have you seen this? Have you seen that? I'm looking for something and nothing is addressed. Can you help me out? That's a gross form of motion. But once the address is in place and you can get to the item fairly quickly, you might notice, for example, a hesitation because there are several look-alike things in the address and you realize that the address and the border that accompanies it needs to be further segmented. This is a very, very good process and I want to encourage you to continue notice noticing the finer and finer forms of motion that are engaged in because of more subtle information deficits, missing information, the difference between this and that, or an address that doesn't clarify, doesn't give enough information for you to know whether you are in the right or the wrong place. In other words, if you're just saying whip or you're just saying saying cardboard, but you don't make a differentiation between the uses of the cardboard or the dimensions of the cardboard. So this is what's wonderful about all of visuality. If you adopt the basic paradigm that visuality is there to remove information deficits and motion is there to tell you that information deficits exist, then you'll be able to enter the science of visuality and to use your own work and your own activity as the laboratory. For me, this becomes very, very interesting. And for those of you who hold to the belief that operators and other value-add associates should and want to become scientists of their own process, this is a doorway to becoming scientific about your own work. Okay? So as I move through these shows... We'll probably do two or three of them on addresses. Take the opportunity to expand your understanding about what make, what makes addresses work and how to make addresses even more effective. Wait, 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 wait a minute. What's that I hear? I hear you. You're saying, look, I already know everything there is to know about addresses. We've done 5S. I mean, how much can there be? How much can there, how much can you say? An address is just a label with a name on it. Gwenny? Hmm. Yes, of course, you're absolutely right. But of course, you're absolutely wrong. You know what? I will tell you that when I started about 25 years ago, at, at, at 25, 30 years ago, to tell you the truth, when I was researching and implementing visuality all over the world, I didn't realize that I was going to learn what I learned about addresses. Even when I started writing a chap- the chapter in my Work That Makes Sense book, I thought I was going to work two or- write two or three pages. I wanted to put it at the end of my border chapter. And my editor said, just write and we'll see what we have. Aurelia Navarro, what a great editor. Well, what happened was 40 pages later, I realized that we had indeed scratched the surface, but there was a lot more. Lot more, but I managed to c- cover about seventy different types of addresses in that chapter. 
So I want to ignite your thinking and trigger your inventiveness, whether you are a supervisor, coaching visual thinking in others and inventiveness in others, or whether it is you who are doing the inventing. I want you to go further. I want you to make your addresses serve you precisely and completely or by design generally and completely. And I'll explain that probably in our next show, the difference between generic addresses and what I call license level addresses, driver license level addresses. So there are many, many types of addresses, and there are several that I will skip or not not discuss because of time constraints. But I will give you a very, very robust sampling of addresses. And you know what goes for the production floor goes in spade for offices and hospitals where in most cases deep visuality has only begun to develop. So one of the main things that I want to, you know, kind of give you the basics of so you get the big concept is the necessity of addresses goes beyond our need to know where things are in a kind of fixed and reliable way. It goes beyond that. In a larger way, addresses support an earlier discussion that you and I had several months ago when we were talking about the mind as a pattern-seeking mechanism. Remember that story I told when we were discussing borders? I think it was in my first or second show on borders, so that must have been March, maybe February, maybe March. Addresses help us find and recognize the fuller pattern of work. And when that happens, we achieve a new, usually a new, but certainly a stronger level of psychological and physical safety. Our psychology begins to stabilize and feel safe because work and the work environment make sense. Without addresses, the pattern is incomplete. Our mind may be seeking the pattern, but it reaches a wall when the pattern does not explain itself. And that's the purpose of addresses. So maybe you saw on Google the research from Cambridge University that it doesn't matter in what order the letters of a word are in as long as the first and the last letter are in the right place, as long as the letter has more than three, as long as the word has more than three letters in it, the first and the last letter have to be in the right place. The rest can be a total mess and you can still read it without a problem. And why is that? It is because the human mind does not read every letter by itself. It reads the word as a whole. Pretty amazing, huh? And the whole is determined by the pattern that is set by the first letter and the last letter. Now, what I just read, and I read it, for, for you was an example of that mishmash, of that total mess, where I was only reading the first and the last letter of words like according, Cambridge Research. Research is spelled R-S-C-H-E-E-A-R-C-H. Cambridge is spelled C-M-A-B-I-R-D. Nothing is in the right place, but yet I could read it. That's the power of the mind and this pattern-seeking capacity of the mind. And I want to encourage you to get on Google and put in these letters. You have to spell 
the word incorrectly correctly. So I'm going to give you the spelling of according, according to a research, to research at Cambridge University. So you have to spell according incorrectly correctly. <laughs> and it's A-O-C-C-D-R-N-I-G. Only the A and the G are in the right place. The rest is a total mess. You put that into Google and you will see, I'll spell it again in a second, this research and you will see this placard that demonstrates this power of the mind. And you will find it also in other languages where everything looks perfectly well uh, spelled because you don't speak Czechoslovakian or Hungarian or Chinese. <laughs> so I'm going to spell it for you again. A-O-C-C-D-R-N-I-G. A-O-C-C-D. R-N-I-G. Go ahead, look that up, and you'll see how quickly your mind, if especially if English is your native language, your first language, your mind will just, without, without uh, uh, hesitation, be able to read it. Both read it silently, silently and out loud. And it's because, even though the letters are garbled, you are looking at the pattern. This is the difference between an analog clock that shows you the pattern of four o'clock and a digital clock that puts the words there four o'clock. The analog clock, the one that shows the pattern, gives you the information a nanosecond faster than the digital clock. And that is because the analog clock, the one with the pattern, you recognize the pattern four o'clock, but in the digital clock, you have to read it. The difference between reading and recognizing. Hmm? And that's why on fighter jets, they have both analog and digital. Analog to get the rapid response and digital as a backup. That kind of a redundancy to make sure that your clock is correct. It's kind of a, a validating the time on the analog clock. It's the same thing. We harness the same power, that same power of the mind for the benefit of our company when we lay down borders very, very powerfully and then apply its operational partner addresses. Okay? Suddenly we understand. So we go from information to understanding and when we understand we can act. Suddenly we're working in a different way. We are actually working in flow. Inflow, not just doing things, but doing things in relationship with each other and in relationship with ourselves. So we'll pick this up, addresses, the basics of addresses, right after our next break. Talk to you in a minute. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. 
Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, hi, hi. It's Gwendolyn. Hi, I'm back. You're back. And we're going to continue our discussion about addresses. And, you know, I was thinking during the break, I thought, I am really a qualified nerd. I qualify amongst the best of the nerds because I'm interested in 70 different types of addresses when most people think one will do. Who understands how we are as we are? Who knew this about me? Who knew I was going to be such a weird person? But I am. And the other part about it, what makes it doubly weird, is I really enjoy it. I can't tell you how much fun I have finding new addresses or finding anything. It's just who I am. It's a mystery. God bless my genetic coding. Who knows where that came from? So let's continue. Just before the break, we were talking about how addresses are partners to borders in helping to set up the pattern of work so we recognize it. We don't have to read it. We don't have to analyze it. We just know it. We recognize it. So let's talk about that relationship between a border and address and an address. The premise behind an address in the workplace is really the same as an address on your home. In one case, you are the resident. In the other case, the workplace item or the material is the resident of that spot. But at work, we go one step further in making this link crystal clear. The item's address tells us where we belong in the real estate, in the real estate that you claimed through borders. Not just the house, but where in the house. So you have a home for completed parts. And you know it because there's the address. It says completed parts. Without the address, you would have to guess. You would have to ask someone. You would have to remember. Think about it and remember. These are all forms of motion. Without an address, you would only see that something lives in that border. That the spot is empty. If the thing wasn't there, if the thing itself wasn't there, you would say, ah, something lives there. I wonder what. I wonder what. Hmm. But with an address, you know exactly what lives there, even when it's absent, even when it's somewhere else. A good address means you don't have to ask. And that can be your way of measuring or calibrating the quality of your address. 
that people have no secondary questions. They unhesitatedly, unhesitatingly go up, get what they want, and go back to their work or go back to their anything. So it's anybody's guess if there's a bordered location and only and nothing inside, no no address. Only habit or what we call tribal knowledge can help you in that case. You kind of remember. But it can't help newcomers. It can't help visitors. It can't help somebody who's distracted because the cat threw up on their shoe before they left the house in the morning. You know, or they have a sick kid when we're under a little bit of stress. The purpose of borders is to surround and visually organize material, tools, machinery, furniture, whatever, in all settings. You claim the real estate, whether on a floor, bench, a wall, a shelf. That's the purpose. The purpose of addresses is to name those occupants. Addresses can be fixed in a variety of ways. So don't think of yourself as needing always to put the address on the border, although that is the first application. Embed the address in the border itself. But you can also fix it on the wall above the border, or you can do both. Or you can put an address on a standing sign. This is especially useful if the material is very flexible, if you're using it for whip or you're using it for warehousing or you're using it for temporary storage, hospitals, offices, whatever. You can put the address behind the border or over the border, airborne. Okay? But there is one place an address can't be, and that is nowhere. Isn't that clever? (laughs) One place an address can't be, and that is nowhere. In my many, many years, and I'm talking over 30 years now, of hands-on implementation and coaching, I've spent a lot, a lot of time on many, many floors, many, many floors, in many different kinds of hospitals. I have only found one situation where an address on a border is not required, and that is for traffic lanes and pedestrian aisles, where there's traffic. Because the aisle or the traffic function is continuous and cuts across the entire site, it does not require an address. It doesn't hold still. It just keeps flowing. Some companies address this acceptable gap by embossing an icon on it, maybe a person walking or a forklift. And that's a form of address, and that's good. But mostly these lanes, traffic lanes, just snake their way through the facility. Okay? So that's the use of a border as a kind of person with border for forklift or for pedestrian traffic. And this is particularly, I remember being in Arnott's plant outside of Sydney, Sydney, Australia, and looking at this beige expanse, this beige valley with mountains of machinery on either side. And all I had to do was walk across from one side to another of this vast plant, and I honestly, I just said, you know, if you don't see me in 15 minutes, come in and get me because I'm lost. And then I set out. And I mentioned it to the folks who were um, working there. Chin Galapathy was one. He's moved on to Kellogg's. 
and we sh- we looked at examples of person with borders. And you know what? Last next time I was there, they had these beautiful, broad, about four foot wide borders that moved through the plant that helped you simply find your way against this landscape, this beige landscape. And when the forklift lane that was for pedestrians. When the forklift lane intersected with it, they would put little hatch marks. So both the forklift driver and the pedestrian would know, ah, there's something else happening here. See these hatch marks. Remember we talked about that border where the door opened and somebody walked out into a forklift, a moving forklift, and then they made their border smarter by putting a little notch in it. This is the same thing. Beautiful. Okay, let's get back to addresses. So, with with that single exception, the visual wear requires a border and an address for everything that casts a shadow. That is the hard and fast rule. That is the hard and fast definition. That is its purpose, and this will serve your business purpose exceptionally well, not just at the outset as order, visual order begins to emerge, but later when your focus shifts to sustaining and extending the important visual functionality already achieved. For everything that casts a shadow, a border and an address, when you adopt that everything that casts a shadow rule, you are in a position to use that rule both as a tool and also as a standard for self-examination, self-audit, and continuous improvement. It's really very, very important. This is where you can use the laminated map that I want to discuss to, with you to register with a yellow dot when the visual wear is strongly in place for everything that casts a shadow. When that happens, you get a 15 to 30% increase in throughput in that location. We see it time and again and again and again. Even if you're doing lean, it has that powerful an impact. The yellow dot is criteria-based. It means you have a border and an address for everything that casts a shadow. When you move to a green dot, then it's sustainable, and there's a different set of criteria. And I will talk to you one of these days about customer-driven visual order. I put it on my list. We have many things to talk about. So borders, addresses, all surfaces, work from the floor up. Work from the floor, go to the walls, go to work surfaces, and they go into your short shelves, shelves and your tall shelves and into cabinets and into drawers. It is for everything that casts a shadow. Yeah? And it should excite you because it means that you can move through using this criteria and complete an application, a deployment of the visual wear, and then just watch the motion disappear. And not only that, but using motion as the lever, as a way of seeing the need for finer and finer borders, it will trigger further cycles of continuous improvement. As I said before, you become a scientist of your process and you also begin to see further opportunities because previous opportunities have been put into place. So you create a baseline and you build on that. I'm going to begin now talking to you about some rules for addressing, and we should be able to get through all of them before the end of the show, but no, no, maybe not, because I have some points to make. But there are six rules, five, yes, six rules, six rules for addressing, and let me go through them. And we're going to go into a break in just a second. Second, Matt will be whispering in my ear 
So, oh, there it is. <laughs> okay. He says one minute, but let's go on our break now, Matt, if you don't mind. And so that I can keep these rules into the final segment. We'll see how many we can cover. We'll go into our break. Thank you. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Listening to The Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's toll free 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, hi again. We're in our fourth segment, our final segment of today's show on addresses. And, uh, we will, you know, I'm just thinking about it. It's going to be at least three shows for us to cover the material. I hope you're fascinated. I'm fascinated by this stuff and I wrote it, you know, and I'm still so interested. So right before the break, we were talking about the importance of having criteria and we were going to begin our rules. And I want to say, I want to say one more thing uh, as a kind of context. A framework for this. Taichi Ono said many great things, but one of the greatest, one of my most favorite things that he said, he was co-architect of the Toyota production system along with Shigeo Shingo, who was my sensei in the 1980s. He said, people don't come to Toyota to work. They come to think. People don't come to work to work. They come to think. Thinking as part of work, thinking as enhanced work, thinking as improving our work. People don't come to this company to work, they come to think. And there's a pleasure in that. Maybe that's what I was saying before a little bit when I said, I really enjoy being a nerd. You know, I like thinking about these things. I like thinking itself. It's a pleasure, thinking And a lot of people don't have an opportunity to simply think. But more importantly, they many times don't have anything to think about. And this is where I go nuts when people say, oh, let the employees invent things, let them have empowerment, let's empower them, and then nothing happens. You're empowered now. 
but they don't provide any kind of framework for becoming powerful in. It's just an announcement. It's on the bulletin board. You are empowered. Bless you, bless you. But what would it be like to say we're going to couple empowerment with some vigorous principles, in this case of visuality, so that you can really use that power that you are, that sovereign self. You can really apply that power to some important, worthy, and um, ambitious goals, such as how are we going to develop a great robust system or a great address system so that we uh, we aren't constantly in motion because of the lack of information. So one of the things that we do when we talk about these rules and some of the other components that I've introduced to you is that we say to an operator, because we're on the operator level now with the visual wear, think about these things. This is the new baseline. Everything we've learned up to now is here. I'm presenting it to you. Go further. Use the principles behind what I say and go further. Show me something I've never seen before that doesn't exist on the planet by using these principles. Go further. Now, now you're being powerful. Now you are exercising your power and you're building your power. You see the difference? So we're going to talk about some simple rules for addresses, rules for you to keep in mind so that your addresses are effective. But these rules also have principles within them. We could call them principles of effective addresses, and you guys can go further with them. So, rule number one, large enough. Make each address large enough for us to readily grasp, to readily read at a distance. The basic rule is this, perfectly readable at two feet when you're on foot for the pedestrian, and perfectly readable at four feet when you are on a cart or a forklift, moving a tow motor. Your addresses will then be right-sized. They will be at a scale and in a proportion that fits the setting. Well, you can rarely make an address that is too big, but you can often make an address that is too small. If an address is small, we work too hard to see it. Then the address, which is supposed to be a motion buster, ends up being a motion maker a motion producer. And hand in hand with size is rule number two. Use upper and lower case. How many times have you seen an address that's all capital letters? And even though you may not have registered why that address irritated you or was not that welcomed, I will tell you why. Because all upper cases are very, very hard to read. They're popular, but they're problematic. So avoid using all upper cases, all caps, and use upper and lower cases instead. Using upper cases only prevents what we were talking about before about the mind. The mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism, but you wipe out the pattern when you use all upper cases. And even though it's only a nanosecond larger, it's longer. It's the difference between an analog clock, four o'clock by hands, by the hands, and a digital clock, four o'clock letters. The difference between recognizing and reading, recognizing and deciphering. 
using all caps prevents the mind from identifying the pattern because all caps create an undifferentiated block. They flatten the pattern profile. As a result, the pattern of the word disappears. The meaning of the word disappears. We are forced to read instead of recognize. So, a word in all caps does stand out, but only when words on either side are upper and lower case. So you can use them occasionally in your writing, in your emails for emphasis, but they're a very, very bad idea for addresses. You go ahead and do that. You write something Something like, but when we capitalize all the letters of all the words in a sentence, the profile is lost. Do it in all blocks, in all capitals. And then do it upper lower case. You'll immediately see the difference. You know, people. I always feel like people are screaming at me when they send me something in all caps. You will do this. You, you silly person. You did this wrong. Bad, bad, bad. They're screaming at me. You know, engineers have a tendency to write in all blocks when they really want to be emphatic. Don't do this, do do that. And they don't realize, I don't think they realize, that they're actually less effective, not more effective, in using all caps. So when given a chance, use upper and lower case letters. You may be challenged at first to find this in stencils, but keep searching. The last time I checked, most stencils came in all, all caps only. But the label-making machines are now offering a choice. The one by Brady, there may be others, but the one by Brady puts out a fine array of upper and lower um, label-making machines. Also, beautiful black on bold yellow, the easiest to read, bold on black, with many sizes and also some icons. So if you have a little two-inch screw, you would say, Two-inch wood screw as the address, but you would also say Phillips Flathead. And you would also put the part number, 12378. And right next to it, you would have a little icon of the wood screw and then show the head. Show the plus mark on the head, Phillips Flathead. I think that's a Phillips Flathead. Huh. Okay. So... Check around for it so you can start using upper and lower cases. Let's see if I can squeeze in a third one, third of six rules. I don't think I can. But in, in, the, in the show after Norman Bodek uh, next week, we will uh, go through these, and I will also go on to give you some tips, tips for making your addresses more effective. So we're going to go through some lists, and I think that you'll find that helpful. Rule number three. Ah, I just got... Matt just said one minute, which means we have one minute until closing. So we've only gotten two of the three of the six rules. We have to do high contrast. We have to do color coded. We have to talk about surround addresses and we have to talk about standardizing the names or not. So we'll do that time after next. Next week, we hope to welcome Norman Bodek who is my old boss, who got me started on this pathway to continuous improvement, one that I am enjoying to this day. We'll interview him, and you will find out why I call him Dr. Improvement and the incredible service that he has done to our nation and the world in bringing so much knowledge from Japan in the form of books and videos and conferences and 
and um, seminars and courses, which was my work. I was in charge of um, training development and consulting with his group when I started on this journey in 1983. And I'll tell you, the guy is eccentric. You'll enjoy him or you won't. But I think you'll mostly enjoy him. He's very sincere. He's very energetic. Right now, he's very sick. But believe me, in a week, he'll bounce right back. You can't get rid of this guy. He's got so much energy. He really does glow from within. And sometimes you wish he didn't. You wish he would just kind of be normal and boring. But he can't do it. In his own way, Norman Bodek is a genius, you know, and eccentric. And I think you'll enjoy talking and hearing him. And uh, because I have such a personal relationship with him, we should be able to dig some new secrets out of him, which he will cough up and uh, will be aghast at or surprised at or very, very pleased. Thank you very much for joining me today. I had a wonderful time with you. I love sharing this with you. Thank you for your emails. Keep them coming. You have no idea how encouraging I find hearing from you. I, I heard from... oh. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't say his name. I'll have to practice his name, but someone in in Israel who got my joke and also, um, anyway, sent me an email. It's very, very lovely. Sir, I'm going to practice your name all week and I will use it next week because I know you said you were looking forward to hearing about Norman as well. Thank you. I'm so glad you're listening. Lean Israel. Lean Israel is the name of his company. Thank you very much, everyone. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, and I'm signing off. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.